Susan Marshall, thanks for joining me. Um, wh what are you working on right now? Well, what aren't we working on at the moment? My group does such a broad range of things, it's really hard to distill it down into the most, you know, a really um, brief explanation of what we do. Yeah. But my group is all about all of the things that you can do with fish, really, that are not um, fillets. Yeah. So most of the fishing industry focuses on fillet, but our group focuses on everything that's not. So it's the skin, it's the frames, it's the guts, it's the heads. It's all those fish that are captured that actually don't get filleted, um, bycatch, um, low-value fish, um, things like mackerel, which are sold whole, frozen, and we believe that we could do a lot more with them if we separated them out. The focus is really on exciting molecules. I like people to I really want people to stop thinking about fish as a fillet. You know, I think most people look at a fish, they see a fillet. I look at a fish and I see a container full of molecules. And what you do with those molecules is really up to how you process it. You should be looking at that fish and choosing whether you're turning it into fillet or turning it into collagen or turning it into cosmetics and really looking at the best way to use that animal so that nothing's left over and that you get the best value for what you've captured. I, I think that's a, a, a you, you mentioned when we spoke earlier that you're a conservationist at heart. Um, and uh, that seems like the if one can reach that goal of using that whole fish that that is that is true, uh, true conservation. Um, so so you're working on you using uh, utilizing bycatch also and then uh, whatever's left over of the of, of the fish. Um, when you began studying towards this years ago, um, what, what was the outlook then? I, I assume it wasn't like um, a more niche thing like now that you use less fish and, and, and that it's sustainable. Um, if you, you look 10 or 20 years back, what was the industry's like mentality about fish? So it's pretty interesting, actually. I would say in New Zealand, there really wasn't anybody studying this kind of thing. And so back when I started, and with most of the people in my team, we all started out as mammalian biochemists and then gradually sort of fell into working with fish. So I've been, I've been working with fish for about 20 years, but I started out um, studying enzymes and mammals and then ended up working in the meat industry, which had also exactly the same issues around product that's not meat and what you do with it. Interestingly, I think that for a long time, people utilized everything they killed and captured. If you go back and look at um, the 1600s right through to the modern times, people didn't waste food. They used everything, you know, our grandparents all ate tripe and other revolting <laughs> things. But, um, you know, it was because that was the food that was available and yeah. that's what you did and I think it only the sort of wastage that we have seen subsequent is only because we moved to um, very high volume processing we had there was refrigeration there was all sorts of things like that 
that actually made the difference and allowed us to be wasteful. So a lot of our work is actually about looking back, looking at what people used to do, um, and then looking forward again and applying that in in a new way with the sorts of technologies that we have available now. And and if you if uh, uh, I assume the, the the tide began turning in academia first, where you saw pos- possibilities, um, can you say could you pinpoint a time where you said, oh, you realized that you began studying towards better utilization, or or you know how did that process happen? Actually, I I think in the fishing industry, I I in preparation for this podcast. I actually went back and looked at a whole lot of um, literature to find out what was happening. And interestingly, in this space, what I found was that scientists have worked with industry right back and that there really wasn't much happening in academia. But I think what really made it come to the forefront, um, the first international um, symposium on byproducts was held in about 1990 in Alaska and I was trying to work out you know what precipitated this change why was there suddenly an interest and I think it was actually the collapse of the northern hemisphere codfish um, fishery yeah. where people were suddenly going oh fish isn't an infinite resource we have to do something better and there'd been quite a lot of work going on before, but that's really what crystallized it and made people start thinking about the circular bioeconomy the, and what, how to get more from less fish. Um, and it's, of course, it's an ethical issue also. Um, so, yeah. Very much so. And I mean, in New Zealand particularly, we have, you know, we, we have this whole... Maori respect for the environment, for animals, but I think it's a, a New Zealand thing generally that we really we actually care about the animals and have some sort of respect for their lives. Mm. And I think that we are it's the right thing to do, not yeah. to um, not to waste these animals. Um, uh, how would you describe to someone who has no idea what the state of of New Zealand fisheries are because, uh, obviously, there's big moves, you know, in, in certain areas to, to, you know, for more conservancies, but uh, is it in a good state? Like, how would you, how would you word it to someone who, who wanted to, who knew nothing about it? So, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fisheries scientist. I'm not a stock assessor. Yeah. All I can say is my experiences of the industry and working with the people Um, hearing the people who do the stock assessments and MPI, understanding how New Zealand is perceived from overseas. And I'm I'm the first to admit it's not perfect. Things go wrong. There are activities that shouldn't be happening. But I would say New Zealanders should be proud that we have one of the best and sustainable, most sustainable fisheries in the world. And that's what I really do believe that. And I have been staggered. Every time, you know, talking the passion from people within the industry about conservation, sustainability, not overfishing, not killing birds, protecting marine mammals is really quite astonishing. And um, there are some wonderful people doing huge amounts of work. And, and, And 
also an awful lot of scientists who are working really much, very much in collaboration with the industry, trying to make sure that New Zealand is the best in the world and that we have a fishery that continues into the future. Um, recently, the, the um, cyber physical seafood systems or cyber marine was, was founded. I think that's what led me to, to contacting you. And it's very, very young. How long? That was two months ago, three months ago that that oh, was founded? Yeah. So it's, a, it's a, um, a big research program that's funded by MB, the Ministry for Business Innovation and Employment. $16.28 million dollars over five years so it's really very sizable and it started on the 1st of October last year. We are so fortunate to have this funding. Um, it carries on from funding that we've had previously so we've always been very lucky. The government's given us a lot of support in um, creating new products from byproducts and leading New Zealand into this area. So in this, um, in this program we're pulling together chemists, biochemists, engineers, computer scientists, and a huge, um, a really broad collaboration. So there's my team at Plant and Food Research, there's the guys at Callaghan Innovation, there's Victoria University of Wellington, Otago University, um, and Deakin University in Australia, all working together to try and maximize the value of, of everything that gets caught. Um, and then with a secondary understanding there about how to do it with the minimum amount of energy usage and creating absolutely no waste, whether that's from uh, the, the processing itself, but also around effluent discharge, um, reducing the amount of um, processing that's required on boats, no solvents, all these sorts of things. Well, when I say no solvents, not, not traditional types of solvents, yeah, yeah. only green solvents um, and new efficient forms of processing. That, that's an awesome project to be, uh, to be part of. Is, is, your, is your team specifically just working on that or are you, is, is your team uh, a different team and you're part of that whole operation? So... Um, we are doing certain parts of it and yeah. the others are doing other parts of it. So we started out going, you know, the, the whole premise was why aren't we doing this already? Because it seems like a sensible thing to do. Um, and we have had an amazing amount of industry support because they also want to do this. And so not only have we got all the scientists working together, we've also got a whole bunch of people um, from industry working together. So our part of this process is we're doing an awful lot of analysis. Um, Callahan Innovation are also doing that and Otago University. We're trying to find out using wet chemistry, what's in everything. And so it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, um, whether we're looking at heads or guts or whatever we're looking at, we're using three exemplar species. So we're using hokey, green shell mussel, and mackerel um, to give us the range of different sorts of raw materials that we're likely to get. We're then taking all of our compositional analysis using wet chemistry, which is really slow, um, and 
working with the University of Otago on all sorts of um, laser spectroscopy, which is a way to you fire lasers at the raw material, it gets a, um, a spectra coming back. And then from that, you can work out what's in there. Yeah. And that's also quite slow normally because some poor scientist has to sit there for hours on end looking <laughs> at the spectra, working out what every single peak is. And so to be able to do this, to be able to get a load of fish off a boat, throw it through our plant, we have to know what's in it in real time. And so this is where the difficult bit comes in. Yeah. So then the guys at uh, Victoria University are creating all sorts of computer programs which will take the spectroscopic data and do what a scientist does in two weeks in 30 seconds. That's, oh, wow. what, we're, that's what we're trying to do. And then once we know what's in it, the rest of us are working on all sorts of processes so that we can go, well, what's the best way to process this stuff? How do we get multiple things out without destroying one thing to get something else out and so that's where the new processing technologies come in and then the computer program will be able to know from the composition what path to follow with the processing to maximize what comes out the other end and so we're doing all that and then we are also looking at once we've got bulk materials out what can we do with them to change them into, um, to change their functionality so that they do different things. So for example, taking carbohydrate groups and sticking them onto lipid groups so that we can make an antioxidant, for example, which has solubility um, in a aqueous system or in a oil system. So just, um, uh, just to clarify two things for myself, I want to say for my listeners, but I also want to chemistry. Yeah, so that's your, that's your traditional chemistry when your scientist is in the lab and they're getting the material and they're grinding it up, they're putting it into water or into a solvent, then they're putting it through various sorts of filtration systems and columns to, um, to separate out the single components so that you can measure them using all of the techniques that we have to measure things. Yeah. So you can imagine that it takes a really long time to do this um, and having to deal with an incredibly complex mixture like a fish is very, very difficult. And so if we can, um, if we can use a laser to fire at the fish to find out what's in there, then it will completely open up the whole field for yeah. doing different sorts of processing and very quickly. Because you know, one of the issues we have too is that fish goes off. We've got to be able to, we've got to be able to respond really quickly. And the technology for, for using a laser is that is that at a point where you can use it effectively or is it still developing? So we have, um, we have some laser technologies that work already. One of my staff has used um, Raman spectroscopy to be able to look at the um, oil content of fish oils inside an oil capsule. Because yeah. one of the issues that we always have is that even doing the analysis can 
alter what you're looking at. And so there's been quite a lot of issues around that sort of thing in the media. But so you can fire the laser at the fish oil capsule right through the gelatin shell and work out how much omega-3 is in there without even taking the oil out of the capsule and you can do it immediately. If we wanted to do that um, using wet chemistry, it would probably take a whole day to find that out. And what we're also, there's all sorts of different kinds of spectroscopy. So we're rather hoping in here, and this is new, to use multiple sorts of spectroscopy that tell us different things so that we'll be able to get a full compositional spectrum by using lots of different techniques and combining them all together, which would be impossible for a person to do, but perfectly possible, we hope, for our computer system to do. And if you're you're saying multiple things, like what type of what type of things are you looking in the future to get through through that? Like what type uh, of information? What type of information? Yeah, from from using laser. From all, using all the lasers. Well, we want we want to know um, how much omega three is in there, how much lipid is in there totally, what sort of lipid it is, whether it's triglyceride or phospholipid, how much protein is in there how much moisture is in there. And one of the things that we don't know yet is that by combining all these techniques, whether we'll be able to find out things that we didn't even know that we could find out using them just because of the power of putting all these things together may give us information that we wouldn't otherwise um, be able to get. Um, for for the, the the person on the street, I mean, we think fillet and then we think fish oil because that's what I'm seeing seeing yep. every day i mean i see you go into a, a chemist and you see literally like buckets this big that you can buy fish oil and that's kind of where i i leave it as we stand at the moment today with with developed technologies um what percentage of of fish is fillet and then what percentage of the 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 leftover is actually effectively used. I mean, obviously saying percentage, but like what, how, how much more or less is, is, is fillet and, and what is actually used? So at the moment, I would say, I mean, there are, always, there are always some issues in small regional areas where people don't have access to processing. So yeah. there, is, there is some waste, but in the main, everything's used already. Okay. And I think, you know, people, people need to know that because you hear lots of things about all this waste. There, there isn't waste. We don't, we don't talk about waste. We talking about, we talk about adding value. But fish, um, you know, you're looking at somewhere between thirty and fifty percent of a fish is fillet. Yeah. So that gives there's an awful lot yeah. of other material, and you know we like to think that it won't be too long before the industry can make more money from the stuff that's not fillet than they do from the fillet. At the moment, um, so you take your fillet off, um, you can take the heads off. Sometimes the heads are are sold for food and sometimes they're not. Um, You can take the, you know, when you fillet a fish, you end up with a frame and it has some meat on it. Sometimes that's put through a belt mincer, which squishes it and then the meat comes the residual meat comes through that can get used in um, products like patties and uh, some fish fingers and really high quality protein, but it's just not 
in fillet format anymore. There's a few people who are making calcium supplements out of the bones. Um, you've probably heard about uh, Revolution Fibres and their collagen eye patches, which was yeah. a you know product that one of my came questions. out of our <laughs> yeah, yeah. other program. I can talk about that more later. Yeah. Um, so they're taking the skins and um, Sanford as well, taking the skins off the fish um, and making collagen out of it. Everything else goes through the rendering plant. Um, and so that takes anything that's not used, goes through, cooks it up. It takes the fish oil out, which can either goes into animal and fish feeds or for human consumption. And the rest goes to make fish meal, which generally ends up in agriculture and animal feeds now. So there is, I mean, like you say, there's almost 100% utilization. I assume the industry will just be much happier if, if they can make larger profits from these, these offcuts in inverted, inverted commas. Yeah. Offcuts. I like, I, I quite like offcuts. It's quite good. Um, I think where we're at at the moment is that everybody understands that we, that, you know, we've, we've got changes in ocean currents, got all sorts of things. The fish stocks are changing um, with ocean warming that, Nobody expects the wild fish capture to go up. Yeah. I think everybody expects it to go down. Yeah. So that the, um, the wild fish industry has to retain its profitability and yeah. to keep all the jobs and everything else going. They've got to make more from what they've already got. Yeah. Or in fact, you know, most people would say they've got to make more from less yeah. than sure. what they have now. But we've also got the growth of the aquaculture industry. And, um, you know, there's, there's projections of a lot more fish being grown in the open ocean. We've also got potential to grow more shellfish. What are we going to do with all of those? Because when you, when you fillet them, you still end up with a whole lot of offcuts. So it makes sense to really to maximise the value yeah. that you get from the whole animal um if we can look at some uh, you mentioned the the, the eye patch but um mm. uh how do you get to that like <laughs> from how do you get from you've got your fish to to that and and to what a, is, yeah what is the process white powder <laughs> yeah, white, and then what is the how, how does it actually work as a medical application okay so um Collagen is fantastic stuff. We love working with it because it's really, um, it's quite, a, it sounds weird, but it's quite a, a fun molecule because it's quite, it, it has lots of different properties. I mean, people know about collagen anyway, because when you, when you eat a jelly, the thing that makes a jelly into a jelly okay. is actually, is collagen. It's broken up a bit and we call it gelatin, but it's, um, it's there. But fish have quite interesting collagens, particularly our cold water fish, because they extract more easily. And it's quite difficult getting collagen out of, a, out of um, animal products, but much easier to get it out of fish. So we can, um, we just do a, a simple, we take all the, we take the skin off. There's a lot of cleaning involved. And then it's, um, it's solubilized up into acid. And then once you've done that, we end up, we've, so you've got your base collagen molecule in solution. 
um, and then we can do all sorts of things to it to change the properties. So collagen itself is a very, very large molecule and it's wrapped up into a triple helix. And by doing different things to it, we can unravel it. We can take single pieces of that triple helix or we can take very small bits of it, which we break up using enzymes in quite specific ways to make different things. So um, to electrospin it, which is how those collagen eye patches are made, it has to be of a particular format. So we have our processes. Electrospinning, like maybe we should just clear, clear electrospinning oh. and then go on to the eye patch. Yeah, okay. I, um, there's a whole, one of the wonderful things about collagen is that you can use it to make um, biomaterials. So collagen is a really interesting molecule because you can use it to make biomaterials out of. Yeah. And so when we're talking about biomaterials, you can think about their, their three-dimensional structures usually. And often you need great big polymers to make, you know, plastic is a polymer yeah. and you use it to make biomaterials. But these are, these are natural things. And so because of the very large nature of the molecules, because of the chemical groups that are attached to them, and because of the electric charge on them, you can do interesting things with them. And because, we, because you can get them out of fish easily, you can manipulate particularly the size of that molecule and how much charge it's got. And so electrospinning is really interesting thing and it's almost like making spider webs and so you you put you have got your collagen solution on one side you apply an electric current to it and it pulls out into these incredibly fine fibers with a very very high surface area which means that you can put other molecules in there like uh, lipids and antioxidants and it acts as a carrier and then it collects on the plate and you can make this, um, you can make a mat, which has really interesting uh, properties that you can manipulate, but that has massive surface area. And so that's where you can, you could put that onto your skin and it dissolves instantaneously. But we also, we're looking at 3D printing. You can make inks out of these things, put them through a 3D printer. Um, and some of my staff, they made gummy fish by 3D printing them, you can make little, you know, we're still at the stage of making little cubes and various things, but sort of more, and I think this is one of the questions you were going to ask further down, but you can also use them to print cell scaffolds, yeah. which is a really interesting area of um, new biotechnology, biomaterial science to create an almost natural structure that cells like to live in. And so then you can, you can grow cells in that structure. And why would you want to do that, you might yeah. say? Well, some um, people that we work with in uh, the University of Swansea work on breast cancer. And so they are looking at how they can take cells from um, patients grow them up outside of the body in a cellular structure um, in, a, in one of these um, scaffold structures and then test the chemo drugs on that so they don't have to test it on the people. 
Wow. So that's the sort of thing that we're going, where we're going with this. But in, um, in another area that we're working on at the moment, we're looking at cellular agriculture. And um, it's a big area at the moment, but there's, there's not very much being done in, with fish. And I like to think that we're pretty much up there at the forefront of this. Um, and it's about, in that case, building a scaffold to get the cells to grow in so that you can grow a fish fillet outside of the laboratory. Yeah. And it's another way that we're looking at to how to get protein to people in an, with an expanding world population and delivering fish in a really sustainable manner. It's interesting. I, I've got a copy of uh, Outside magazine next to me. And uh, yep. it's an American magazine. And the one article I was reading last night is uh, called uh, So Long and Thanks for All. And obviously, thanks for all. <laughs> But it talks about, um, uh, uh, you know, in large parts of the world, fisheries aren't sustainable. And yeah. there's a lot of bycatch that, that doesn't get used. And um, the journalist uh, uh, started looking at fish alternatives and, and um, experimenting with all these, these alternative foods that is now being sold as tuna, but obviously it's just flavored plant-based things. And... Um, and it's in, in the US, a lot of that's already available on, on supermarket yeah. shelves. Um, and, I, you know, I, the other day I saw a, like a, a protein bar made from insects. And whether people like it or not, the world is moving that way. And it might not be the answer, but it definitely is part of the answer. Um, we, we're with you there 100%. We're going to have an awful lot of people to feed and we just and we need to make sure that we're giving them high quality food that yeah. doesn't destroy the planet. Yeah. Um, so so I've got a couple of very rookie questions. Your, <laughs> your eye patch, okay? Yeah. That you've now electrospinned. Um, how much fish? How much? Let's say I don't know what an eye patch weighs. Let's say a hundred milligrams. I'm just shooting out of there. Please feel like how much? Um, you know, you, you take a certain amount of milk and you make a certain amount of butter. How much fish and then what is broken down into do you have to use to get a certain amount of, of, of material to use it as an eye patch? Is it massive amounts or is it equal or is it? Yeah, it's, it's massive amounts, Okay. which so is why. So I think just off the top of my head, I think the recovery, if you get, fish skin and of course it's really dependent on on the type of fish and how much meat's been left on it when it's filleted but you're, you're sort of looking at around maybe two percent of the skin is actually recoverable collagen okay okay which sort of brings us back to where we are with the cyber marine program because if you're going to do that you know, obviously the other 98% of your material there, some of it's water, yeah. but some of it's also other products. So it's good quality protein that you could use for something else. So you, you want to then recover that in the same way so that people can eat it rather than sending it to the rendering plant. Uh, is that process happening at the moment or is that technology to kind of recover for an eye patch and then recover for protein? Uh, is it? Is it 
can you only do the one at the moment or can you do both yeah so um so at the moment the skin is the skin the fish are filleted the skin is recovered the meat there is remaining meat is taken off um and we're working with a company to make sure that we can actually do something with that meat yeah. but at the moment it's going to the rendering plant but that's going to that will change okay and then um, uh, I assume an eye patch, the profits on an eye patch is much more than it is on a, on on fish. So, uh, well, I'm just I'm just assuming it, which which would motivate one to actually just use it and uh, maximize profit for for less fish, which makes it fit into your model. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I think you're going to see more and more collagen. Really seems to be one of the first things that people are really starting to see that they can um, commercialize. That's going to be one of the first things that really starts to take off. Take off. Um, uh, so so uh, if you look 20 years ahead, where do you think you want that, that just that specific thing to go? So the collagen? Yeah. Yeah, definitely it's into the biomaterial space. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we'll see is really increasing understanding of what these molecules do so you may see more in um, cosmetics but with a lot more information around how they work what they do because um, cons consumers are becoming much more sophisticated and knowledgeable they they want information they want data to support their purchasing so i can see that um, you probably still see it in um, supplements. You know, there's a lot of stuff in sports drinks, um, in food. But yeah, for me, it's the it's the biomaterials area in, in um, making um, scaffolds, making bandages. Um, you know, there's all that fantastic work that they've done with the fish skins in Iceland around making bandages for burns. And yeah. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of this kind of uh, natural products and natural mimetics where we're taking all the good aspects of natural products and then using them to um, support human health. Well, explain lipases to me if I'm saying oh, it. Lipases? <laughs> My favorite subject. Okay, good. Um, yeah, good. Got two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I was going to say we've got a week, but um, no, I'll try and I'll try and keep it short. Um, we're really, really interested in enzymes. And, you know, most people don't know anything about enzymes. So you might have heard of them because there was that old advertising campaign about the hungry enzymes that eat dirt and stains. And that's about people's understanding of enzymes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But enzymes are just proteins, but they're really special proteins because they're catalysts. They really, there's the most phenomenally um, complex things but catalysts allow a chemical reaction to go at lower energy that's the main thing so they they bring the components together so that the reaction can go at much lower temperatures than it would go if you had to do it chemically so we're really interested in enzymes as part of our green chemistry initiative so more and more as we're going um, as people are moving forward, they're looking at using enzymes in industrial processing because you can get the enzymes to do just what you want. 
Whereas if you do, if you use chemical processing, you often end up with a whole lot of side reactions. And then to get the thing that you want, the yield of it is lower, but you also have to do a whole lot of other processing to get rid of the things that you don't want. Yeah, yeah. Use enzymes, much lower temperature and much lower waste streams from that process. So they, and you can do things which are, almost energetically impossible by any other means. So that's enzymes in general, but lipases in particular, we're really interested in them from fish because um, fish like hokie, which live at very low temperatures out in the cold ocean, their enzymes work at low temperature. And so unlike a mammal, where most of our enzymes are designed to work at 37 degrees, and in that kind of area, fish, the temperature range is much broader. And you know, we have enzymes that are really efficient working at four degrees or at 10 degrees, which all helps us decrease the amount of energy that needs to go into a process to make something. So we're already seeing lipases being used quite significantly. They're rather hungry enzymes. You know, quite a lot of your washing powders have enzymes in them. Cold water washing powders have lipases in because it breaks the fat off. If you've spilt um, oil down your shirt, they'll get in there and they'll chop it up so that it can um, be taken off in the detergent and washed out of your shirt at low temperatures. Hmm. So most of the enzymes that are around at the moment um, come from microbial sources and there are a few um, animal ones, but not that much from fish but we're working on that because they have these special characteristics. And going forward, we're looking at things like, um, lipases are used to make cheese. So when you, buy, when you buy Parmesan, that particular flavor of Parmesan comes from a lipase. They're used for making all sorts of food flavorings, for making biodiesel, for, I had a whole list of things that I can't remember now, but they're used quite extensively in the pharmaceutical industry for making drugs because yeah. it's so specific. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is to get these novel enzymes out of fish because we think we can do things with them that you can't do with the ones that you've already got. There are various challenges associated with that, of course, because they're at much lower concentrations than if you're growing them up in a um, fermentation reactor. So one of the things that we're trying to do is to work out how to get them out really, really efficiently. And because we've also got this um, plan to get multiple things out rather than just focusing on one, yeah. it spreads the cost so it makes it more um, economically viable to extract the enzymes. Um, so, so people in the industry where these things can be applied, they're aware of, of the possibilities. You don't have to go as a scientist and go like, there's this completely new thing. Are they kind of chomping at the bit for you to create new technologies and they can apply it and save money and make money? What, what's the perception out there? Have you got difficulties as a scientist to convince people? I think, um, I think for me, what I see, it always comes down to economics. And it's got to get to the point where doing it is 
worth the effort mm. in terms of the money, in terms of disruption, in terms of having to train people to do new things, get new staff, and um, generally change your business model. Yeah. So that's the thing. So what we're finding is the industry is becoming increasingly keen to do this. You know, 15 odd years ago, people used to laugh at me and go, oh, yep, there's Sue. She's um, telling <laughs> us we should be doing something with our byproducts. Yeah. Whereas now I think um, everyone accepts that they need to do something with their byproducts. But we're just at that point where we need to work together, which we all are, to come up with the technological fix that we require to do this, plus all of the other things that are required to um, the people that we need to train, the reduction in the energy, the no effluent, the, the bringing the people of New Zealand along with us, understanding why we're doing this and supporting it. And are you working with overseas uh, uh, researchers on the same thing, or is is it uh, uh, at the moment very New Zealand based with New Zealand industries? Uh, we've had a, a collaboration with Australia for a really long time, um, and so we're continuing with that. So that's with Deakin University, and um, you know it's been really fruitful. With that, we we do a lot of more fundamental work, and we publish that work in scientific. Um, publications but it's it really is everybody across the world wants to do the same thing yeah. um, we're just starting a collaboration with the researchers at NFEMA in Norway who are really very much do much the same sort of stuff as us because none of us want to be doing just reinventing the wheel all the time to really make progress we have to join together if if you uh, if you look at uh, the utilization of the fish in, in in 50 years and you take all the things you're researching now and you throw all the money you can get <laughs> at it and industry buys in and um, and and I'm 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 not just talking about things that are happening with your own research uh, things you're seeing overseas and even just ideas that that seem remotely possible now but you know there's no no money being being thrown at it for research like how do you see the utilization of a fish in, in 50 years if scientists are are allowed to do the research they're supposed to do i just i i just think that it will be it will be progressive you know you'll just keep seeing it all build and build and build because a fish is such a complex organism. There is so much interesting material in there that you will, you know, I, I'm, it's not going to happen all at once. But as we progress, so this, you know, this compound will be taken out, and then in a year's time, that one will be taken out, and then it will it will speed up too because as you get the equipment that you need, you can use it to extract more than one thing. Yeah. Um, but that will also be coupled with lots of research into areas like biomaterials. So it's not just about pulling the material out, but also what you can do with it. Yeah. And then a huge amount of research around proving that it does something, yeah. you know, that it is going to improve your skin, 
that it is going to reduce inflammation. So give, you know, just this really broad confidence right through the whole spectrum from the people who are catching the fish right through to the people who are using some new form of um, cosmeceutical. And in, and in medicine, how, what, what's being applied at the moment in medicine, except for like uh, kind of bioscaffolding use, like at, like in hospitals at the moment, it's being, uh, it's being used with, 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 with burn treatment. And but what other things are there that the general public might not be, be aware of? Because, you know, you kind of read things in the media, but if you don't follow it up, you, you have no idea. I, I don't actually think that there is a great deal um, from fish being used at the moment. So that gives us a huge amount of scope. Yeah. Um, in Iceland, they make, a, um, they make a product which actually has enzymes in it. Um, and that's used as a treatment for uh, sore throats. And so I'm, I'm, but that's the first one. And I'm really starting, I'm really hoping that we'll start seeing more of that kind of thing happening. Yeah. And your, your biggest hurdles, and I'm not talking about, about funding, um, if you stand oh. with colleagues, because I know our funding is always, my, my, my brother's a physicist and I've heard a lot about funding, and you know, so <laughs> the headache. But if, if you're standing around whatever, the coffee table, and you're having conversations and going like, oh, I wish we could just take this and do that with it, you, you know, wh what kind of things do you see as, as, as hurdles, but that's really like technology or understanding hurdles? Yeah. So I, I would say, actually, answering your question, the biggest hurdles are, are actually in the industry. But for us, I think the biggest hurdle is the cost of clinical trials okay. and doing really, really in-depth analysis of the properties of molecules. Okay. Because, you know, what I see is I think that I, I have every confidence that we can deal with the processing issues. And um, there'll be a whole lot of new technologies that come out, hopefully some of them from our program, but we will be able to get the molecules out. Yeah. We will be able to manipulate them so that it changes their properties. The, the key thing is having these clinical trials and studies that really show what they do yeah. to a high level of confidence. Yeah, and that, that other people can invest both time and I assume money and, and trust yeah. in, in what you're doing. Because, you know, you see it now, every week it feels like a different study comes out going, omega-3s are good for you, omega-3s are not good for you, phospholipids are good for you, no, they're not. Um, and we're confused, so goodness knows what the, what the public thinks. And really, it comes down to having the luxury or the necessity of doing really big trials that are really, really well designed. But the problem is that they're very expensive. So, um, you know, I see that as the biggest hurdle. Um, do you still eat fish or do you feel, <laughs> are, you, are you veering towards plant-based uh, tuna tasting uh, products. No, I'm um, I'm a, a pescatarian. I would say oh. so. I, I I don't I don't eat meat, but I do eat fish. Okay. Um, I'm I'm still you know I need to be well. I am convinced. I you know I feel that the 
the industry does supply sustainable fish, otherwise I wouldn't eat it and I wouldn't be working in this industry. Um, I'm a catch and release fly fisherman, but I'm forcing <laughs> myself to, um, to actually every now and then bring something home. Um, yeah. Just because I believe it, it's still healthier. Uh, it, I know it didn't stay in a fridge for long. I, I, I write about agriculture a lot. You know, some apples that you buy has been in a, in a, in a, a cooling facility for a year when you buy it. And um, I guess I just, uh, if I want to speak sustainability, I must, and, and healthy food, I should, should go and sometimes just harvest what, whatever, I, uh, uh, whatever I eat. Um, uh, Susan, yeah, thanks. I, I think we touched on everything. Um, okay. if I, it was if fun. I, if I read a bit more, uh, and, and we can talk about very specific things and, yeah, sure. um, although maybe a, a scientist would be a better interviewer, uh, who's already got a broader, broader understanding, uh, of that. I, oh, thank I don't you. think so. Uh, no, it's, it's really enjoyable. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that's really, really important for us is that we can tell people what we're doing. Yeah. Because, you know, in the end, the New Zealand public is paying for our research and yeah. they deserve to know what it is that we're doing and what we're spending their money on. Yeah. And hopefully when they know about it, they'll support us and, and um, understand that something good will come out of it. I, I think the hope is that that it will get to a point where, because so many companies are profit-driven, well, 99% of them, there's <laughs> one or two that, that aren't, that it gets to a point where they will say, we need we need less fish, but we're still making money or more than we used yeah, to. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think you, it's definitely going to happen. If you look at Iceland, um, I think they're up to more than, yeah, they've got more than 90% use of, their, of the cod now. Yeah. Um, and that's going into all sorts of products. We're aiming at some things that are the same, some things that are different, but they, um, they earn far more from the non-fillet portion than they do from the fillet portion. So we have a model there so that people can look at it and go, yep, it will work. And yeah. so um, that, I think that gives everyone a great deal of confidence. That's awesome. Um, yeah, well, I, I really like what you guys are doing and uh, I really like reading what you sent me. Uh, I was definitely not at 90% understanding of a lot of it. Um, so so uh, I still have a way to go, but thank you very much.